even though uh, Thanksgiving is just a couple days away, do you know the talk that has been going around in my house? Can you guess? Christmas. Christmas. Specifically, I hear this again and again. Dad, here's what I want for Christmas. And it's Lily's list. And it's always the same list. Dad, I want ballet stuff. I want stuff for the house and other things. <laughs> Whatever that includes, stuff for the house and other things, Lily wants them. <laughs> uh, but it's getting to be that time where lists are made and, and you hear over and over again, here's what I want or what do you want? Dad, what do you want for Christmas? Mom, what do you want for Christmas? Kids, what do you want for Christmas? You hear it again and again, what do you want? And I know that uh, some of you don't necessarily like talking Christmas before Thanksgiving, but it's just true. At this time of the year, you start to hear this. What do you want? And this week, it got me thinking, what does God want? Let's imagine that God had a Christmas list. What is it that he wants? As I look at all of Scripture from beginning to end, it's pretty clear what he wants. He wants to dwell with humanity. God wants to dwell with people. From the Garden of Eden to the end of Scripture, God wants to be with his people. And so what does it look like? And how does he do it? So we're going to talk about today as we look at 1 Kings chapter 9. A little background for you. Uh, King David was on the throne around 1000 BC, and the, he, he ruled the Middle East, uh, what was known as the land of Canaan. Uh, under Joshua, they went in and they took over the land. And then over the course of time, from about 1450 to 1000 BC, uh, they didn't have a king, and then they established a kingdom under King Saul. And David was the second king, followed by David's son, Solomon. 1 Kings chapter 9 uh, is King Solomon is on the throne, and he had just built a temple for the Lord, and they dedicated the temple in chapter 8. We turn the page to chapter 9, and here's what we were told. When Solomon had finished building the temple of the Lord and the royal palace, and, all, and had achieved all he had desired to do, the Lord appeared to him a second time as he appeared to him in Gibeon. The Lord said to him, I've heard the prayer and plea you have made before me. I have consecrated this temple which you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. Let's stop right there. The Lord appeared to him a second time. Uh, when was the first time? Right when Solomon got on the throne. If you remember, Solomon takes over for David and uh, the Lord appeared to him and said, you can ask me for anything and I'll give it for, to you. He didn't ask for power. He didn't ask for glory. He didn't ask for wealth. He didn't ask for victory over his enemies. He asked for wisdom to guide this people. And God was so pleased with his answer that he gave him everything. He didn't just give him wisdom. He gave him victory over his enemies. He gave him peace in the land. He made him the wealthiest person to probably ever live. Uh, he gave him uh, the wisdom that he desired, and even more, he gave him so much wisdom that he was probably the wisest man ever. 
He wrote more Proverbs than anyone else. And here, God appears to him a second time after he builds a temple, consecrates it, or dedicates it. The Lord appears to him and says, I've heard your prayer and your plea. What was his prayer and plea? If we turn to chapter 8, we hear at the dedication of the temple, Solomon prays to the Lord. He prays, put your name here. He prays, when, when people come here, when the Israelites have sinned and they come here, forgive their sins. He prays, when foreigners come, because they hear of your great glory, receive them and welcome them. Forgive them. And dwell with your people, Lord. And the Lord says, I've heard your prayer and your plea. I didn't put this as one of your points, but you might want to write it down because I think it's an important point. The Lord who dwells hears our prayers. The Lord who dwells hears your prayers. He may not answer right away. Uh, this wasn't like the next day for Solomon. Uh, this was several uh, days, months, maybe even years later that Solomon, that God answers Solomon. But he heard him. He heard his prayer and his plea, and that's true for you. He hears your prayers, he hears your pleas, and he will answer. And he does answer. But in that prayer from Solomon, Solomon mentions again and again something significant. Lord, your dwelling is in heaven. Your dwelling is in heaven. Will you really make your dwelling here on earth? Nothing can contain you in all of this world because your dwelling is in heaven. And yet, will you really come and dwell with us? And the answer? I've heard your prayer and your plea. I have consecrated this temple. I've set it apart. I've put my name there. My eyes will be there. My heart will be there. I will dwell here. Think about how incredible that is. It's your first point today. The Lord who, who is so glorious, so majestic, nothing can contain Him, confines Himself to a temple. The Lord, that nothing in this world can possibly contain Him, confine Him. He says, I'm going to confine myself to this temple that you've built for me, Solomon. Why? Because the Lord wants to dwell with His people. And He will do whatever it takes to dwell with them. Now the people could come into God's presence through sacrifices, through the Day of Atonement. They could come into God's presence and God was in the midst of them. And if you read through chapter 5, 6, and 7, you get a description of the temple. And you know what we hear? Solomon used 25 tons of gold on the temple. And in the temple was carved a bunch of things like grapes and pomegranates. And as you looked, what did you get a picture of? The garden. God in the temple recreates what the Garden of Eden would have probably looked like with all the fruits. It's a garden when you walked in. You looked around and you saw the vegetation. God dwelling with his people. And isn't that a reminder of why 
Adam and, or why people couldn't see God. Every time they walked into that temple, what did they see? The garden. And what did they remember? Adam and Eve. Sin. We can't be in God's presence, and that's why God is in heaven, and he has to confine himself to this temple so that we can be with him. But that's what God does, because he wants to be with his people. He wants to be with you and me. The Lord who dwells then gives Solomon a warning. Here's what he says. As for you, if you walk before me faithfully with integrity of heart and uprightness as David your father did, and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever. As I promised your father David your father when I said, you shall never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. Stop right there. I wonder if when Solomon heard that, Walk as your father did. I wonder if he said, well, this should be easy. After all, look at what David did. David slept with a married woman, got her pregnant, and then murdered her husband. I think I can accomplish that, Lord. David's sins are on the pages of Scripture, and yet the Lord says, walk with me faithfully in integrity of heart and uprightness like King David. See, what David did was he never had another God. He never worshipped idols. He never bowed down to idols. And even though he sinned as much as he did on the pages of Scripture, what did David do? He had sorrow, sorrow over his sin. He confessed his sin and then trusted in that forgiveness. Follow me, Solomon. Follow me. Don't go to other gods. Follow me. And the warning he gave to Solomon, he gave to the people. But if you or your descendants turn away from me and do not observe the commands and decrees I have given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land I have given them and will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. Israel will then become a byword and an object of ridicule among all peoples. This temple will become a heap of rubble. All who pass by will be appalled and will scoff and say, why has the Lord done such a thing to this land and to this temple? People will answer, because they have forsaken the Lord their God who brought their ancestors out of Egypt and have embraced other gods, worshiping and serving them. That is why the Lord, has the, that's why the Lord brought all this disaster on them. The Lord says, not only you, Solomon, but the people, follow me, listen to my decrees. Don't go after other gods. What does the Lord want from the people? Their heart. And that's your second point. The Lord who dwells wants your heart. The Lord wants the people's heart. Don't go after other gods worshiping them. Don't go bowing down to other idols. My heart is here. Give me yours in return. Follow my decrees. Follow me. Listen to my decrees. Give me your heart. But it wasn't very long before they stopped doing that. In fact, Solomon's end of his life is pretty tragic because what we hear is Solomon bowing down at the temples of the foreign gods to the temples, the, the temples that he built for all of his wives, and he bows down to these other gods. And it's soon after that that the people start bowing down and worshiping other gods 
as the kingdom splits and idolatry comes into both kingdoms. But our God is faithful and he continues to send prophet after prophet trying to bring them back until finally in 580, right around 580 BC, the Babylonians come over and what happens? The temple's destroyed. Destroyed and in rubble. The city destroyed and the people uprooted out of the land to Babylon. Why? Because the Lord wasn't interested in a, in a temple. He wasn't interested in the building. He was interested in the people's hearts. And they failed to make God their number one. What about you? What about me? We have the, the Lord wants to dwell with us. When was the last time that you stopped and, and was just in awe of the fact that the God of this world wants to dwell with you? with me. Do you have time for the Lord who wants to dwell with you? Is God an afterthought or a forethought in your day? When it comes to sitting down and, and spending time and dwelling and living with our God, does your devotion life happen if you have time and if you remember or is it the thing that you mark on your calendar and say, I'm dwelling with the Lord because the Lord wants to dwell with me. I'm sitting down and spending time with him. The holiday season's coming up. Thanksgiving, Christmas, and there's festivities. There's all kinds of things on the calendar. What's going to dictate your calendar? The things that we have to attend or the fact that the Lord wants to dwell with us? And so I'm going to make sure I'm in worship. I'm going to make sure I'm, I'm in the word because God wants to dwell with me. There's so many things in this world that try to grab our hearts, even good things that can become idols and make God second, third, fourth place in our life. God wants to be number one. He wants our hearts undivided. And even the good things in our lives can become bad things if they become the ultimate thing if they become where you get your identity from, if they become the, the thing that controls your emotions, if that comes crashing down and you're all emotionally out of whack, that has become your idol. And it can happen with your career. It can happen with your family. It can happen with anything that if you don't have that, you have nothing to live for. If you're not succeeding in this, then my life is in ruins. I can't be happy unless everything is working out in this area, whether it's job, family, sports. Then I'll be happy. It becomes the ultimate thing. And for the Israelites, that's what happened. God became an afterthought. God became second, then third, then fourth. To a point where they'd go to the temple, offer sacrifices on, on Saturday, their day of worship, and then they leave and live however they want, do whatever they want, pursue whatever they want, and then they get back to God on Saturday. How many of us come and sit and worship on Sunday and then don't even consider dwelling with God during the week as he becomes a second thought, an afterthought? This is what happened to the Israelites and the temple laid in ruins hundreds of years later. God patiently and faithfully held out his word despite their unfaithful hearts, 
until finally judgment came. It's a good thing we live in New Testament times, right? Except, look at what Hebrews says. Oh, I don't have Hebrews up there. Hebrews 10. Let me just tell you what it says. <laughs> Hebrews 10. We had the, in our earlier scripture reading, uh, if, you, if we would have kept it going, it says this. If we deliberately keep on sinning, there's no sacrifice for sins left. There's no sacrifice for sins left if we deliberately keep on sinning. We have trampled the Son of God underfoot and judgment will come. If we deliberately keep on sinning, the first commandment, you shall have no other gods. If we deliberately keep on making God an afterthought, scripture, the New Testament says there's no sacrifice for sins left. Judgment is coming. It's not just an Old Testament thing. God wants our hearts. And if we are following and pursuing other things, at some point God will just say, okay, I will remove my presence. I will no longer dwell with you. Have it your way. And there's nothing left but judgment. So how do we know if we're doing good enough? <laughs> we don't want that, obviously. How do we know if we're faithful enough? How do we know if we're keeping God number one? How do we know if we, we've done enough? We can't. In fact, if your, heart, if your heart's wandered just once, we're in big trouble because God demands perfection. And so it seems like there's no hope. And in this section of Scripture, 1 Kings chapter 9, there's not much good news in there, is there? Uh, if you ever encounter a section of Scripture that says, if this, then this, that is law. That is law, what we call law gospel. That's law, and it's not good news because you and I can never fully live up to God's expectation of the if-then. We can't. But there's one little kernel of gospel in here. And it's chat, verse 5. As I promised your father when I said, you shall never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. God promised that a king would come from David's line. And that king was ultimately Jesus Christ. God was faithful to his promise faithful to his people despite their unfaithfulness. And when Jesus was born into this world, what do we hear in the New Testament? Emmanuel. God is with us. John chapter 1. The Word, talking about Jesus, God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus came to dwell with us. To be with us. Why? It's your last point. The Lord who dwells, dwelt with us and for us. How much does God want to be with you? He's willing to do anything to be with his people, even confining himself to the temple. But then he went a step further. He confined himself to a human body. And at first we think that's no big deal, right? Wouldn't we rather be a person? Except when God's human, what, is he, what can he do? He can get sick. He can get hurt. Uh, he can suffer. Uh, he has feelings and emotions. Uh, and yet God confines himself to a human body to be with us and for us. I came across uh, 
Max Lucado's devotional for Christmas last week. It's called In the Manger. He's got 25 devotions leading up to Christmas. And he said that as in, in one of the devotions, he said he was looking out his office window and he saw a, a squirrel running around a tree, uh, running up the tree, running down the tree. The squirrel had a nut in its hand and it was running. Um, and he was amused by this squirrel. But he said never in the world did it cross his mind, I want to enter the squirrel world. I want to become a squirrel. Uh, he said, I'd have to give up golf. He said, I'd have to give up the, seeing the majestic mountains and, and being in awe of them. He said, I'd have to give up laughter. I'd have to give up my family. There's no way that I'd ever think about becoming a squirrel. And yet that's what Jesus Christ did for you and me. The splendor of heaven could, could uh, uh, he had the splendor of heaven. Nothing in this world could contain him. He had a perfect relationship with the Father. He had everything under his feet. He's the Lord of lords, King of kings. He's experiencing all of glory, and yet he gave it all up. Why? To be contained and confined into a human body to dwell with us and for us. Because you and I needed somebody who never had a heart wander from God. Because you and I needed somebody who always put the Lord number one, who understood what it meant that the Lord wants to dwell with him, so he wanted to dwell with the Lord first and foremost in his day-to-day life. He, had the, he knew that no other gods, no other idols could do what God did, and so he never bowed down and worshipped them. He never went after them. He always had a heart for the Lord. He dwelt with us, for us, because that's what we needed. And then, just like that temple was destroyed, Jesus was destroyed. He said in John chapter 2, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And that's exactly what happened. He wasn't destroyed like we think of a building being destroyed, but he was crucified on the cross for all the times that our heart has wandered, for all the times that we've put God as an afterthought. And just like God removed his presence from the temple, no longer dwelling there, he removed his presence from Jesus. On the cross, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why was the temple destroyed? For the sins of the people. Why was Jesus crucified? For the sins of the people. And yet there's a big difference between the two, isn't there? The temple was destroyed, God removed his presence the people were still in their sin. Jesus, God's temple was destroyed, crucified. His, his presence was removed, and what did that mean for you and me? Forgiveness of sins. Eternal life. The eternal presence of our God forever. And now Jesus rose from the dead, and he promised to you and me, I am with you always to the very end of the age. What does God want? To dwell with you. And he will do whatever it takes to do that. Even if it's confining himself to a temple. Even if it's confining himself to the body of a human being to dwell with you and for you even to the point of dying. And this is how your story ends. Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, 
prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. How does your story end? Dwelling with God forever. Through faith in Jesus as your Savior, God's dwelling will be with you and you will be dwelling with God for eternal life. And notice what he says. God himself will be their God. He will be with them and he will be their God. Your heart will no longer wander. Your heart will never be tempted to turn from God. He will no longer be an afterthought. God will be there with you for eternity. You will be his people, and he will be your God, because there will be no more death, no more crying, no more pain. Sin and death have been conquered, and there you will dwell for eternal life. What does God want to dwell with you? Do you have time today? Do you have time tomorrow? Do you have time today? God wants to dwell, God wants to dwell with you. And so let's make time to dwell with him. Let's make time to spend time with him. And so as we close up, I want to encourage you with two things. Number one, how do you dwell with God? You sit with him in his word. Open up his word. Let him speak to you and you pray back to him, speaking back to him. Spend time with him. He wants to dwell with you today. We're going to hear more about the word next week and how God speaks to us through his word. Uh, And then number two, Encourage one another. Encourage one another to come to worship. Encourage one another to be part of our small groups that we call connect groups. Encourage one another because God wants to dwell with us. Let's marvel at that. Let's take time to do that today and always. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, our Savior, uh, we are in awe that you would come to this world as one of us, for us, so that we could dwell with you for eternal life. Uh, we thank you that you will do whatever it takes to dwell with us, even if it meant, uh, meant living and dying for us um, and having God's presence removed from you, uh, just so that we can have God's presence forever. No matter where we go, no matter uh, what we're doing, no matter if it's in a, a church, in a storefront, in a temple, at work, uh, in the car, you promise you are with us always, and God's presence is with us because of you. We thank you for that. We look forward to the day when our faith becomes sight and we get to visibly see our Lord and dwell with him for eternal life uh, where there'll be no more crying, no more mourning, no more pain. Uh, We thank you for making all of this possible. Let your heart for dwelling with us, your heart for your people, motivate us to have a heart for you, uh, leaving everything behind to spend time with you once again today. Let us always put you as the forethought, not the afterthought, as we spend time with you every single day Uh, hearing your grace and your mercy and your love for all of us. We ask this in your name. Amen.